Mac Power Users, Episode 21, Interviews from Macworld 2010. Welcome back to the Mac Power Users Podcast. This is another special episode for you. Um, by popular demand, we have decided to release two Macworld 2010 shows. The first was episode 20, which featured the audio from our podcast live from the main stage. This is the second Macworld-related episode, and we are going to feature a series of interviews that David and I conducted from the show floor with uh, various vendors and exhibitors discussing their products. We tried to interview people whose products we've talked about on the Mac Power users before, uh, as well as products that we think will be of general interest to our listeners. And as you can imagine, we've geared towards products that tend to have a little more focus on productivity. Because we released two episodes relatively close to each other, it is possible uh, that your podcatcher or iTunes may have only downloaded the most recent episode. Uh, you may want to check your podcast settings and see if you have that box checked to only download the most recent episode. This is episode 21. If you have not seen or heard episode 20 in your feed, chances are you've missed something, so you may want to go down and take a look at it. Because these interviews were recorded on the Macworld show floor, uh, there's some inconsistency with the audio quality, but because of the nature uh, of this episode, we wanted to go ahead and bring those interviews to you anyway. We will be back to our normal show topics next episode, where we are going to be talking about travel gear, uh, as well as following up from the previous episodes, uh, which we've not had an opportunity to do in these Macworld special episodes. We'll be back to our normal episode format and schedule shortly, but for now, here's what we found interesting from the show floor of Macworld 2010. Okay, so Katie and I are sitting here with Kurt Schmucker from the Microsoft Business Unit to talk about all the new and exciting things in Microsoft Office 2011 and the current edition of Microsoft 2008. Kurt, let us know what's going on. So at the show here, you know, we're real happy to be here to connect again with our user base and also to share with them some news about future things that are happening for Office for Mac and also things that have happened just recently for Office for Mac. So in the area of recently happening, uh, shipping product, we released in the fall a new edition of Office for Mac 2008, the business edition. And the business, business edition has uh, a number of, ad of additions to it compared to the earlier editions of Office 2008, specifically focused on the business user. So it has additional templates focused on business productivity. It has clip art associated with uh, business needs make put in presentations or put in other documents. It also has seven hours of video training from lynda.com on Office 2008 to help people get greater advantage out of the rich feature set that's in Office 2008. And that's available right now? That's available right now, exactly. And then you've also had a big announcement about Office 2011. Correct. So at the show this, this week, we're sharing uh, some news about the next version of Office which is scheduled to come out in time for holiday purchase this calendar year, so holiday of 2010. It'll be called Office, uh, Office for Mac 2011. And as we've mentioned before, we've tried to share really relevant uh, features about that with the user base. We talked about last summer, for example, we'll be bringing Outlook 
to the Macintosh for the email client, replacing Entourage, the current email client, in the Office suite. We're also bringing back Visual Basic, which we know has been a, a real issue with some users who relied on off automation. It was a very you know hard choice to release Office 2008 without support for VB. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are looking forward to the return of Visual Basic. And, and so am I. Uh, and I can tell you that it's working now in the in the internal builds we have at the MacBoo, and we're really pleased to bring it back into the suite. What kind of differences are we going to see between Entourage and Outlook? Because I know Entourage has been, for a lot of people, a great email application that allows them to connect into their business with an exchange network uh, where you otherwise couldn't. But what are the major benefits of going to Outlook? So, as you're correct, that over the last several years, we've been adding more and more functionality into Entourage, specifically focused on the business user who is using an exchange email uh, uh, server. Um, and, in fact, in the version of Entourage that came out last summer, Entourage Web Services Edition, we actually worked with the exchange team to define a new protocol that would work between an email client and the email server to get the best use of for of the exchange functionality for the Entourage user. We'll be taking that protocol design, and in fact, that actual code, and moving that forward into Outlook. But for Outlook, what we'll be doing is completely revamping the user interface and re-implementing it in Cocoa, which gives us the ability to hook into all the goodness of the Mac OS, uh, make use of core animation, other sort of features when they're appropriate, um, and basically continue that progression that we've seen in Entourage over the years of more and more exchange functionality. A particular feature that is really nice in both Entourage and will continue in Outlook is what we call auto-discovery. All you have to know is your email address and your password, and it figures out all your server settings and so on. It's almost magical. It's really very attractive, and it helps both the end users and it helps their IT staff. It doesn't have to handhold people with server long, complicated server names and other sort of credentials to get their email up and going. That's really exciting to hear you guys are, are hooking into the Cocoa frameworks because that's always been one of my gripes with Microsoft Office, to be honest, is that it doesn't take advantage of that and it seems to slow things down. So how much are you going to be using the frameworks for the other pieces of Office? So the other thing that we announced the other day is we're bringing the ribbon to the Office suite. That's, the, that's a user interface uh, approach, first pioneered in Office for Windows 2007. We're taking the ideas of the ribbon and moving them to the Office suite on the Mac, and that, that ribbon implementation is all done in Cocoa also. Excellent. And, and the goal there, of course, is to have bring all the goodness of the ribbon to the Mac UI and do it in a way that it would feel natural and intuitive to the Mac user and would um, not just be a, a sort of uh, you know, easy port from Windows uh, for Office, or Office for Windows to Office for Macintosh. We wanted to do it in a Mac way. I, w I was really happy with uh, in Office 2008 the way you guys embraced Automator and you shipped it with so many Automator workflows. Are you going to do that again for Office 2011? Well, we haven't talked about or released details about our automation plans for the next suite, other than the fact that VB is in fact coming back. Um, we also believe that Automator is a fine technology, and so we'll have more to share about that later in the year. Okay. One of the comments that has been made in the past is Office can do all these things, but a lot of times they can sometimes be hard to find. Yep. 
people will send you emails saying, I wish you, I could do this, and you would respond, oh, you can, here are the five, six steps you need to do to do it. By bringing the ribbon back, are you hoping that that will kind of streamline and simplify some of those features so that they're right at people's fingertips without having to do all the searching for menus? That's actually my biggest hope for the ribbon, is that it would increase the discoverability of features in the office suite. Office is an enormously powerful suite, yet if people don't can't find that power, then it doesn't really help them. Uh, I give lots of presentations around the country, and I, very often I'll get feature requests, as you just mentioned, and the ones that just really hurt to hear are, oh, please add this feature to Office. And I have to tell them it's been there for the last two releases. You just couldn't find it. Uh, what we've learned from the work that the Office for Windows team did with the ribbon and talking with their users is the ribbon does dramatically increase discoverability. And we're really, really looking forward to delivering that to our users. Can you talk at all about how compatibility is going to work? Because I know the fear is every time there's a new version of Office for Windows or Mac, you know, some people have problems with compatibility between the Mac versions and between the Mac and the Windows version. Can you comment at all on how you perceive that's going to work when you make the switch to Office 11? Yes, I can. So, you know, compatibility is. It, Users have told us that compatibility is perhaps the biggest value they get out of Office for Mac. Because after all, there are a total of a half billion users of Office around the world. And people need to collaborate with their colleagues, they need to exchange files, and so on. And we, we have always prided ourselves on the level of compatibility we have. I believe we're stepping up a notch in Office 2011 because Compatibility is more than just file format compatibility. It's also compatibility in your workflow, in the way you collaborate, and in fact, in the user interface. So the work that the team has done in the feature set for Office 2011, they've told me and they've told other, other managers in the MacBoo that we believe this is now the most compatible version of Office we've ever had. We've really narrowed the gap between the functionality of Office for Windows and Office for Mac. In addition, you probably are aware, you may be aware, of the, some of the features in Office 2010 for Windows related to collaboration, co-authoring. So when you have a foundation like, like we now have with the Microsoft cloud services like SkyDrive and like SharePoint that allows you to store a file in, in a place that multiple people can effectively ac access it, you have the ability to provide a whole new level of co-authoring and collaboration. In Office 2011, for example, for Mac, you'll be able to have multiple authors work on the same, say, Word document at the same time, even authors that are on different platforms. I could be on a Windows PC working in Word for, uh, Word for Windows. You could be on Office for Mac, and we both could be accessing the same file and writing in it and making changes and so on at the same time. I'm, I'm sure you have been in a situation where you've been collaborating on a larger document with a number of authors and you're mailing it around and, and appending, you know, dates to the, ver to the file name and this is final. No, this is the really, really final one yeah. and so on. And with the cloud storage and this new collaboration workflow, that becomes a thing of the past. And we're really looking forward to delivering that to people. We released the other day some screenshots of what Office for um, Word for Mac will look like when you're having two people collaborate on a, on a Word document authoring. And it used to be the case in, in other systems, older systems, you know, I was one author, I would sort of check out the file. 
I'd be writing on it. Nobody else could touch it. They could read it, perhaps, but they couldn't write in it until I checked it back in. Well, that also is gone in this new approach. We lock the file at the paragraph level. So you can't actually edit the paragraph I'm writing on right now because we wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to tromp on my work. Any other part of the document, that's fine. And the user interface for revealing that locking of paragraphs is particularly, I think, intuitive and people are going to find really attractive. Um, and this collaboration and workflow, you know, going across multiple platforms, we think we're the only company can deliver that because of the size of our user base on both Windows and on the Macintosh, that the collaboration potentials and the co-authoring potentials are really uh, exciting for Office 2011. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a lot of, of good improvements planned. You know, something a lot of listeners may not realize is that there is a little building on the Microsoft campus just full of Apple geeks. Uh, th yes, there Tell is. Tell us a little bit about the Mac Business Unit. The Mac Business Unit is, a, as you mentioned, is kind of a unique group inside Microsoft. Um, we're about a little more than 200 people that you know, are in a building on the side of the Microsoft campus where um, most of the people are you know, sort of Mac geeks from the day one. You know, I've been on the Macintosh since before it was a product because I was one of the first authors that Guy Kawasaki put in his author's program to write books about the Mac. So I bring that level of, of knowledge and experience to the product decisions we make about Office for Mac. And I'm not the only one by any long stretch. And there are lots of people in the MacBoo who've been there for the entire time the MacBoo has been in existence at Microsoft. In fact, the person who just became the general manager of the MacBoo uh, last year has, in fact, been in the MacBoo since the very first day of, of its organization. And that kind of dedication to the platform, that kind of knowledge about the platform, and being able to service people who've chosen to use the Mac as their machine of choice who need the Microsoft productivity solution, that's the basic mission of the team. Thanks. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that, but there are a lot of real dedicated Mac users up there in Redmond. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Um, we're, we're really excited to be here again at Macworld and to connect with our users. And, and we've also started a campaign uh, about two weeks ago or so to connect with more people via Facebook and Twitter. And so there's now office um, uh, uh, pages uh, on Facebook and an office account that you can follow on Twitter if you want to sort of keep more in touch with those Mac geeks on the Microsoft campus. What is the Twitter name for the office? Office for Mac. Yeah, I think that's Office for Mac. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, and uh, I hope you have a successful Mac world this year. Thank you very much, and I hope so you do also. Okay, I'm sitting here with Simon uh, about to talk about his product, Office Squared, for the iPhone. Hi, how you doing? So, Simon, this is a uh, Office, Microsoft Office uh, uh, version for your phone, so you can read and edit uh, Office, Word, and Excel documents, correct? That's right. It's, it's compatible with um, Microsoft.doc files and Microsoft.xls files. So you can you can create uh, and edit files of those types right off the phone, and uh, you can also integrate with Google Docs and uh, MobileMe iDisk. Okay, so if I have documents on my iDisk, 
and, and I just leave them there on my Mac, I can uh, hook up my iDisk on my phone and access those directly without having to sync it. That's exactly right. And then you can you can edit the file on on Office Squared and then save it directly back to iDisk. Excellent. And um, so the Google Docs, how does that work? Well, we use the Google Docs apps that they published, and uh, basically is is you just put in your Google Docs credentials, and then you can open the Google Docs folder, uh, and you've got access to all your spreadsheets and documents that you've got stored in there, and you can open them directly in Google Docs, or you can copy them over to your local storage on, on in Office Squared, and uh, edit them either directly or, or offline, and then just save it back straight to Google Docs. Now, what kind of formatting can you do, for instance, on a Word document on the phone? So, on the phone, you mean in terms of character formatting? Yes. Um, yeah. So, for example, uh, we've got all the usual character formatting. For example, you can change the, the font size, the font type, the, 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 the highlight color, the text color, bold italic underline, all of that stuff. And, and uh, we also support a lot of paragraph formatting, so justification, al- alignment, left, right, middle, uh, paragraph indenting, bullets and numbering. And also, I mean, we're the only uh, the only office kind of product, product to support the insertion of tables right from the user interface of, of, of the app. So we can insert tables, we can insert pictures straight into your document, and then uh, we also support full undo, redo, and searching within that document. And then once you once you've created your document, you can just email that off anywhere, or you can send it off up to Google Google Docs or iDisk. Or, or you can just connect to uh, Office Squared um, from Mac Finder and uh, drag and drop files directly to it. Now, uh, with respect to Excel, is it how, how deep does the integration go for Excel? So with Excel, um, we support 112 functions, uh, all, the, all the usual ones that you'd expect, the math functions, uh, the statistical functions, trigonometric, uh, string, and uh, all the logical functions. So yeah, 112 of those. So pretty much any spreadsheet you open, you'll be able to sub- you'll be able to access on here and, and edit. And the file format is the for the word is the .doc format. That's correct. Okay, and the same for the Excel. It's the for, for Excel is .xls. Yeah. yeah. And uh, have you run into any type of uh, compatibility problems with it? Uh, using it for typical users, if they're going to have Microsoft Office on their PC or their Mac at work, are they going to be able to see the files fine? Yeah, um, so we support XLS and Doc. We don't we don't yet support DocX or DocXLSX, but there is a, a way around that. You just copy it over to Google Docs and open it through that, and you, and you can uh, access your .xlsx and your .docx files. And now the Office, it's called Office Squared, um, and that's already Office with the two uppercase as an Office Squared. That's it. And that's already on the App Store, right? That's on the App Store. We, uh, we're a number one business app in the UK, in France, Germany, and Australia. And uh, we're about number 13 at the moment on the US App Store under the business category. And how much does the app sell for? The app sells for $5.99. Sounds like a good deal. Thanks a lot, Simon. Thanks, David. Okay, so we're sitting here on the floor with Kai Chong from FastMac. They have a really impressive uh, case for your Mac. You want to tell us a little bit about it, Kai? Uh, yes, uh, this uh, case that we have out coming soon, shipping in April, is called the Impact Sleeve. It's made with this gel called Impact Gel, uh, also known in, uh, in the shoe insole world to uh, protect your feet you know, from absorbing all the impact from daily walking. So uh, we decided to team up with Impact Gel to create a bag that protects your laptop if you accidentally drop it to the ground, it'll absorb the impact and disperse the energy throughout the gel and never let 
and never has the the impact will never hit your uh, laptop at all. Now you've got probably what is one of the most impressive demos on the show floor. And just to describe for the people who aren't here, you're smashing or attempting to smash M&Ms. Yes, that's correct. Inside this impact gel. Yes. And they don't break. They don't break. With a hammer. With the hammer. And they're hitting them hard with a hammer. You can hear that in the background. That's the hammer slamming into it. And now yesterday, somebody actually stuck his iPhone in there. That's correct. And hit it with the hammer. Yes. Is the, the iPhone still alive? The iPhone is still alive, still operating, and still running on 3G. All right. <laughs> that's impressive. Now, the... Um, they use the competitor's bag, which is the one that I have, and, and then they hit the M&Ms in there, and it didn't come out so well. No. Yes, we won't mention any competitor's bags by name, but yes, we did use a competitor's bag, and we are trying to show the difference between a bag made without impact gel and a bag made with impact gel, and as you can see, the difference is phenomenal. So, Have you done, I mean, the demo is obviously very impressive with the M&Ms, um, but the odds of someone, you know, hitting a bag with their hammer with their their laptop or their iPhone inside of it is is hopefully slim to none. Yes, true. But um, have you done any kind of real world tests in terms of the laptop falls down the stairs, the laptop falls off a table? We have done testing for where you hold the laptop in your arms about four to five feet. Right. And we have dropped it. Now the thing is that you cannot see the damage that's caused, you know, internally. Yeah, I mean, if you crack a screen, that's obvious, yeah, exactly. but, you know, the concern is also what's going on with the hard drive. That's true. And what we are trying to demonstrate is that if a, pro- if a, if a product like an M&M, as brittle as it is, doesn't break, you know, using the force of a hammer, the force of a hammer is far greater than the force that's, in- that's absorbed when you drop your laptop on the ground, right? So what we're trying to demonstrate is that if we can... If you cannot break an M&M, you can only imagine the kind of protection you receive with your laptop when you drop it on the floor. Now, we do we have done the testing. We haven't, we haven't done the testing where you drop it down the stairs. We do guarantee it to be dropped for four to five feet and protect your laptop. So, you know, we don't expect people to drop these from, like, two stories up and expect the laptop to be fine. Because the way the gel works is that the thicker it is, the more it's going to absorb. So we're trying to keep this laptop bag as slim as possible, yet protecting it where it's logically protected. From a reasonable drop. Exactly. So if you're dropping it from anywhere from your table, like a dining table or office table, which is about three to four feet, maybe even five feet, right? Five feet's like right here. That's pretty high already. But at the same time, with this bag, we gave it, we figured it out scientifically that it requires only three millimeters of the gel in order to protect that kind of drop. Now, what about on the edges? I mean, logically, if you drop it, the edges are what can be taking the most of the impact. I didn't look at the bag on the, the, the bag, edges. The bag wraps around the laptop from front to back, okay. and it has the corners protected. Okay. Now, the sides don't have the gel. Okay. It's for ventilation purposes as well. But the thing is that when we've done drop tests, right, the, the bag either lands on the corners straight down yeah. or straight down the flat on his back or his front side. Hardly do you ever see a laptop be dropped and go to its side. So that's why when we've done the testing, we realized that we could have wrapped the whole bag in impact gel, but we didn't need to wrap the whole bag in impact gel. Okay, so um, when is the product going to become available, and what's the pricing, and what's the website people should go to to check it out? Well, they'll be available and shipping in April. Uh, We have more designs coming soon in March. People can order then. Uh, They'll be retailing for the 13-inch and the 15-inch bags for... $49.99. $49.99. The 17-inch laptops will be $59.99. And they'll also be available for the iPad for $39.99. Wow. 
Well, thanks a lot. Look forward to checking this thing out. Oh, yeah, and that's www.fastmac.com. All right. Thanks. There's also a great set of T-shirts there if you're looking for some great Mac T-shirts. Yeah. All right. Definitely check out that booth, too. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, So we're sitting here at the FastMac booth with Maxim, who's got a real interesting product called IV+. Plus which is a phone case for the iPhone, but it does a lot more. Uh, Max, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, sure. So uh, this product is a collaborative effort between FastMac uh, uh, that developed a case uh, uh, with a built-in camera flash, built-in infrared infrared, uh, LED, built-in external battery, and and a little startup called Yumi that's developed a piece of software for the iPhone that uh, turns your iPhone into a universal remote control. So uh, just uh, quickly, uh, just to run through uh, how this works, um, you essentially, as a first-time user, tell it what devices you've got. So if you you, know, you have a Toshiba TV, a Sony DVD player, a Comcast set-top box, and how they're all hooked up together, uh, then once you get it all set up, the interface is activities-driven. So if you want to watch television, watch a movie, uh, you just go ahead and uh, you know dive dive into one of these guys. Uh, uh, once you once you get going, um, you're given access to uh, the set of controls within within that particular activity so if you want to you know play pause control the volume etc you know it's all uh, in here uh, you can uh, customize the uh, you can essentially build your own remote if you want to you know an example that I use is, is that of my mom she you know she calls me up probably at least once a week saying hey Maxim this is not working you know <laughs> I don't know what's not working but there's a hundred buttons on here what do I need to press so you can you know for someone like her you can just make it that simple power uh, uh, play, pause, stop, and so on. Or you can kind of make it more fancy if you want to drag on custom kinds of widgets. On here, you can do that. So, for instance, uh, here's an example. Now, uh, a killer feature of this product is the integrated channel lineup bed. So, when you dive into the Watch TV activity, you're presented, uh, you know, with this list of uh, essentially content that you have. A, available to you. So it downloads like your TV guide from whether your cable company is or your, right, exactly. or your uh, satellite. Exactly. Or even off air, whoever you've got, whether it's Comcast, your TV, Echo Star, etc. You know, you have access to this. You can, so you can browse through. Uh, when you want to watch something, you just select it. TV tunes to the right channel. You can search. You want to watch, you want, you want to watch, you know, I don't know, ESPN, just type in ES, you know, P, and then uh, you get the right uh, things pull up. So, and then you, you know, again, uh, just select and the t- uh, TV tunes to the, to the right channel. Does it find the stuff on your DVR as well? Uh, so currently it does not. Uh, of course, you know, uh, we, 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 uh, uh, that's kind of the direction we uh, want to move in, of course. We want very tight integration with all of these entertainment devices. Now, you can find this on FastMac.com. Where, 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 where do people go for this? Uh, yeah, FastMac.com. Just to be clear, you guys, we just cut. So this is a partnership, and we just cut this deal at 7.30 a.m. yesterday. <laughs> okay. uh, so there's not a whole lot of information or kind of collateral in place. So please bear with us while we get all this uh, together. It's, it's a bundle. You don't have to buy all the pieces separately. You buy you buy the battery pack. You buy the hardware that, that interfaces yep. with the iPhone. Yep. And you get the software that um, not only uh, works with your remote app, but there are also a couple other applications. I know you said it worked with like a camera app because it's yes. got a flash. Right, yeah, it is, it is a bundle. Uh, so currently we're looking at uh, breaking it down into a light and a pro version for the remote control app. Okay. Uh, uh, so the light version will be bundled with the case and then you can upgrade to the pro version. Okay. And then the price for that is $99 for the light version, correct? Yes, correct. And, and with that you get the case and the software. Yes, correct. Thanks a lot, Maxim. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. 
All right, I am here on the show floor with uh, at the Fujitsu ScanSnap booth with Michael Sudehas, and you've got some new products that have launched this week, actually, right, for the Mac? That's correct. We have our desktop version we've had for about a year now, but we're going to be releasing the S1300 as of yesterday, actually. Uh, and the S1300 is our portable version of the uh, of the ScanSnap line. And what are some of the upgrades of this versus your previous portable Mac version? Well, the performance of the of the scanner is the same. So eight pages, double-sided scanning, ten pages in the ADF, all those great features that make it very easy to use. Uh, but now we've added additional intelligent functionality to it. So we've added now the new scan to Office applications capabilities. You can scan to Word and, ex- and Excel. If you have those uh, applications on your Mac, it will automatically la- uh, launch those applications, and you can edit your content right from paper into an editable version. If you don't, it'll just make the .doc uh, file or .xls file, so you can bring it up in pages and numbers if you want to. Uh, we've added a new highlighter text capability. So you can make your content immediately searchable, scan it through, and all the information on it is searchable, or you can use a standard highlighter pen to just highlight specific keywords on a document. And when you scan it through, just those keywords will then be embedded into the PDF. So you can search off of that. Okay, ex- explain how that works. So it does OCR? or Correct. So you could either make all of your PDF searchable from the get-go. Everything on that document searchable. That can happen actually from within ScanSnap as you're scanning. Or you can do a different way of actually just highlighting with a highlighter pen specific keywords on that document. So for example, if you are scanning through invoices or bills or that thing of that nature, perhaps you just want to make the account number searchable or the name or the dollar amount searchable, you can just highlight those words, scan it through, and it automatically becomes searchable. Okay, and does that do it in your software, or how does it do the That's software? correct. All that is done inside of the interface that controls the ScanSnap, which is called ScanSnap Manager. All of those features like auto quality, which actually analyzes the size of the document as it's passing through and will upsample the resolution of a page if the document is small. The concept here is that everything is happening behind the scenes. So though when you scan your documents through, your content is automatically cropped and de-skewed, it detects the proper size, it detects whether it's color or black and white. Beyond just those things, you now can actually intelligently determine the resolution for specific documents so that small documents can remain searchable even if they have fine print on them. All this happens behind the scenes outside of the user intervention. We want to put sophistication in ScanSnap, but we don't want to make it difficult to use, so all of this happens automatically. Now, if I do that, like for instance, if I highlight gas bill, the gas company on my gas bill and run it through, will that be searchable in Spotlight because it's it's detected that? Correct. So on black and white documents that you highlight with a standard highlighter pen, that information within that highlighted area then becomes searchable. So some people would say, well, why would I do that over making all of my content completely searchable? Well, if you make everything searchable, now when you go through Spotlight, you get a lot of references to maybe information that you don't care about. But if you can just index specific words on documents, now your search is much more refined and you have control over what becomes searchable on your on your MacBook. Is that software or hardware? I mean, can people that use the old ScanSnap get the software upgrade to get that feature or do you need to get the new the new machine? No, this is what's this is available with our S fifteen hundred M and our S thirteen hundred. This is a feature that's actually a feature improvement in the new products. And what's the retail price for those two units? The desktop version, which is the ScanSnap S fifteen hundred M, that's four ninety five, and the new S thirteen hundred, the portable one is $295. But we sell through the, ch- through the channel, so all the major e-tailers, uh, Amazon and, and so on and so forth, you can find a really great deal out there. Well, thanks a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, no, that's about it. Okay, all right. Okay, so I'm sitting here at the Canson booth with Joe Miller. 
Hansen is a, a, a new presentation product. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about it. Sure, ex- absolutely. Paper Show is a, a new presentation product. It, um, it is driven by an, uh, a Noto technology. So there's an interactive pen. There's a, a digital pad of paper, which has thousands of microdots embedded on it, and a USB key. So there are two main functions for the product. One is the replacement of whiteboards or flip charts with a pad of paper. And I can take a pad of paper, pass it around the conference room, everybody adds their notes or edits, and then I save it as a PDF, save it as a uh, PowerPoint, save it as a uh, keynote file, and email it off directly out of the application. The second main application for it is the annotation of, of PowerPoint or keynote decks. So I take a deck, I bring it onto the, uh, the Paper Show USB key, and I can now drive the presentation, annotate the, uh, the uh, presentation, add blank pages, add notes. After I'm done with the presentation, I can save the presentation again as a PDF or a native file format under Paper Show or uh, Keynote and email it off to everybody. Everybody has the presentation with the annotations. Canson, by the way, is a 450-year-old French company. We were incorporated in 1557. We uh, are known in the fine art business. Uh, We operate under the brand names of Oxford and Hamlet. So we're an old company, uh, but new to the CE marketplace and obviously new to the Mac uh, marketplace. And we were absolutely privileged in winning uh, Best of Show this year at Mac World 2010. Well, Joe, I do a lot of presentation work, and I'm really excited about this product. I think it's great. Anybody who does presentation work or even just group meetings needs to take a look at this thing. Absolutely. This is it's it's an inexpensive uh, uh, solution. It lists for $199 U.S. and is available across the marketplace, both online and in store at uh, CompUSA and Fry's. Thanks a lot, Joe. Have a great show. All right, thank so you, sir. Appreciate right. it. Is that all right? Okay, so we're sitting on the show floor. I'm talking with John Chafee, Chafee, right? Chafee, yeah. yeah, I went to Chafee High School, so I should remember right. that. Uh, and so John's telling us about uh, BusyCal, which is uh, uh, iCal Pro, essentially. So John, tell us what's going on this year. Well, we're actually not introducing anything new this time of the show. When we were here last year, when I saw you, we were just introducing BusyCal, but it turned out that it was still nine months away from release. <laughs> but it was released about four months ago, and it's doing really well. We're quite pleased with it. And uh, we've just been releasing incremental updates since the 1.0 release to fill in a few of the gaps that didn't get filled in 1.0. You know, I was really excited when you guys added the thing with the trackpad. You know, on yeah, the yeah, that was you that requested that. Yeah, I yeah, it was. It's a big deal. If you're on a MacBook and you have the the new touchpad and you swipe with three fingers, you can move months and weeks. That got me really excited. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was one of the new things we added. The most recent thing we added in 1.2, which came out about a week or two ago, was uh, global font preference. It turned out we, we picked what we thought was the perfect font size in BusyCal 1.0, but half of our customers thought it was too big and the other half thought it was too small. So now we let them choose what they want. You know, I put a um, hedge backwards, that comic book font that they sell every year on New Year's, they're really cheap. It looks awesome oh, in BusyCal. Yeah, you should check it out. Well, well thanks, John. Anything else you want to share? Um, no, we're, we're trying not to pre-announce anything at this point. So uh, BusyCal's keeping us very busy. People seem to really like it, and um, we're keeping very focused on that for the time being. Well, it's a great product. Everybody's real excited. I like the way you can network your calendars. I use it both at home and at work. David and I use it uh, to keep Mac Power users in sync when we're going to record and things we're going to do. And you do that by syncing with each other through Google Calendar? We do it through Google Calendar, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's... It's you know you can slice and dice BusyCal so many ways. You can share calendars over your land with your coworkers or your spouse, or you can sync to Google or with a remote user through Google. And uh, 
there's no shortage of ways that you can use it. Yeah, after, during my Mac at Work session yesterday, I talked about how if you're in a, a small office, you can use BusyCal to essentially replace a network in a lot of ways because some people that just need a calendar network. And some guy came up to me afterwards and said that was worth the whole session just to get that one piece of advice. So I sent him straight your way. It's just a great feature. I can't believe nobody else beat you to it. <laughs> I can believe it. You know, the thing is, BusyCal's only been out for four months, but it's really been in development for three years because its predecessor, BusySync, was what we used to sharpen our teeth to learn about how to sync over the LAN, how to sync with sync services, how to sync with Google. And believe me, there's no shortage of challenges in any one of those things. And being able to leverage that to build BusyCal on top of it has really helped us get off to a good start. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize you have deep calendar roots on the Mac, right? I mean, tell us about that. Yeah, so the two of us you see here at the booth uh, were the original developers of Now Up to Date back in 1991. So we're more or less returning to our roots 18 years later. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, John, and have a great show. All right, thank you, David. <laughs> good to see you guys. Okay, so we're sitting here at the Omni Group with Ken Case, who's the head Omni guy. Uh, how you doing, Ken? Oh, very good. So tell us about what you're up to this year. Well, uh, what we're up to this year changed about two weeks and two days ago now. Uh, sure did. <laughs> just a minor. <laughs> just, yeah, just a minor change. Fork in the road, yeah. We are very excited about the iPad. We're very excited in general about what the iPad... Um, it, it, we think it's an exciting product in and of itself, but we're really excited about the direction of multi-touch computing with these larger screens now capable of running you know, our you know, diagramming applications like OmniGraphle and so on. Uh, so the iPad is just the start, we think. And, and well, and you, you kind of put out a blog post that says, we don't really know what we're going to do, but we know we're going to do something. Well, well actually, he said more than that. He yeah. says you're moving the whole company to get all your major products out on the iPad, right? That's right. We're, we're moving all uh, five of our productivity apps, OmniGraphle, OmniGraphSketcher, OmniOutliner, OmniFocus, and OmniPlan over to... Uh, the iPad as soon as we can. <laughs> and I think David and I are more excited about the fact that your products are moving to the iPad than we are about the actual iPad itself. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are productivity geeks like us, and uh, your applications really make it happen, so it's going to be great. Maybe allow me to leave the MacBook at home a little bit. Yeah, I think I think there will be a lot more uh, people carrying around iPads next year. Yeah, it must be exciting at your office now, putting your teams on this new pro uh, this new project and getting everything going. Yeah, well, we have we had to shift a lot of product schedules around. We uh, we put a few projects on hold, uh, like OmniGraphle six, for example, uh, and we accelerated the uh, the schedule for some of the other products, like OmniOutliner four, just to get them out the door more quickly and have them move over to iPad development. Uh, but meanwhile, people have been making their own prototype iPads. Um, you know, out of wood, out of paper, out of plastic, <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah, you whatever showed me one yesterday. Yeah, no, I got it here. <laughs> yeah, so walking around, making sure you know what it feels like. Um, so can you tell us anything about Omni Outliner 4? I know a lot of listeners really like that app. Oh, sure. Outliner 4, uh, well, as I said, we had to uh, accelerate the schedule a little bit. So a few people, I think, will be disappointed to hear that we have decided to pull cloning out of the schedule. Um, it's not something you'd ever supported, but we, we were hoping... Uh, to add that this time around, but we are adding a lot of the most requested features, such as text zooming, the ability to show and hide individual columns, um, so you can have you know more data that isn't displayed right at the moment. The ability to filter lists, uh, save your filters, uh, you know, in a sidebar, cleaning up the UI. It's going to be exciting, really. Well, you know, something a lot of people don't know, Katie and I outline every episode of the Mac Power Users and on the Outliner. Yes. Oh, that's great. To a geeky extent, <laughs> as you can imagine, with Max Sparky involved. 
<laughs> the other thing I thought was really interesting, I was talking to an Apple employee about project management, and he says, we manage all our software in OmniPlan. I mean, it's a really powerful application. I don't think a lot of people know about it. You want to talk about that briefly? Sure. Well, OmniPlan is our uh, is our project management application that we introduced a few years ago uh, here at the show, I think, is when we uh, first introduced it. And uh, OmniPlan is uh, for project managers who you know, need to manage complicated projects that have interdependencies between tasks, that have you know different resources assigned to uh, different tasks that, that they need to, uh, to schedule, uh, and so on. So uh, you, if, if you're familiar with Gantt charts, um, you know, a visual Gantt chart is, uh, is sort of the visualization of that process, and uh, an outline is sort of the, uh, the entry portion of that process. Okay, so now feel free to tell me to jump off a bridge, but uh, do you think you'll have the uh, iPad apps ready at launch? Well, not all of them, certainly. <laughs> We're, uh, What's the problem? What is I the mean, pr- seriously. Yeah, I, mean, Do I don't you need know. To sleep? <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> we uh, we have gotten um, very far along. I'm hoping to have actually at least one product available at launch. Okay. Does it have an F in the name? No, no, I'm afraid it is. We OmniFocus, you know, obviously will run the, the version that's currently on the iPhone is yeah. going to run on the iPad just yeah. through their compatibility mode. Um, yeah. And so we thought it was a priority instead to get uh, some of our other applications. In. Okay. So the, the two titles that we're working on um, right this second, as hard as we can, are OmniGrapple and OmniGraph Sketcher. Okay. Because we think they those have the uh, um, are best adapted to that sort of pad um, format and uh, are things that we can get done um, get something ready in time. We'll see. Without getting too technical, can you tell us just in general? How different putting an application like OmniGraffle on the iPad or the iPhone is than, you know, writing a desktop app for it? Sure. Well, in some, in some layer, it's not too different at all. It, you know, it, when you get down to the layer of the business logic and how things fit together, um, you know, these decisions that you make in the uh, in the code in the abstract, um, all of that code can be shared if you uh, if you wrote it with that sort of distinction in mind in the first place. So if you uh, it, um, in pr- the programming business, we call that model view controller um, logic. You can share the model code pretty well. Uh, some of the controller code you can share, but none of the view code, all of that has to be rewritten on, on this new device with this new form factor, new UI widgets, new UI paradigms, and, of course, things like gesture support, a lot of, a lot of other things there to think about. Um, and, of course, so the iPad doesn't have a notion of a file system where you put files in folders and, and open them and so on. So, uh, we have to come up with a, a system for managing your documents. Yeah, it's just kind of nuts and bolts on that, and maybe I'm getting too inside baseball here, but for instance, if I make a diagram in, in uh, OmniGraffle, a lot of times it ends up in a keynote or, or a pages document. So will I be able, or do you know at this point, will I be able to make the document on my pad, save it out as the PNG file, and then open up pages or keynote and, and bring it in? I don't know if that exact expression of that will work. What I'm hoping is that you would at least be able to, in OmniGraffle, say, I'd like to copy all of this as PDF, say, or PNG or whatever, um, and then switch over to pages and say, now I'd like to paste. Yeah, that's what I mean. So do a copy and paste of images. That, that part should work. You might not be able to do sort of an export and then go find it in, in, in what file system. Well, well that'd be yeah. fine, so long as you yeah. can be on one one device and get the, the output from... Because, you know, they don't have multitasking, as everybody says. Uh, but you can get the output from OmniGraffle into Pages or Keynote without having to go to your Mac. Right, and one of the things we'd like to do is go uh, one step further, which is... Uh, 
on the Mac side, we have a technology called Linkback, where you can take, for example, an OmniGraphle diagram, copy it as PDF, and paste it into OmniOutliner, then double-click on it in OmniOutliner, and uh, it pops up open again in OmniGraphle, where you can make some edits. And when you save, it automatically saves the edited version as your attachment. We would like to um, bring that over to the iPad as well, and, and we're hoping... You know, we're trying to write up a proposal right now that uh, other app developers could use to, you know, participate in that scheme. So, if we're lucky, you know, maybe the iWork team would be willing to consider joining in that as well. That'd be great. Hopefully, you know, I just want to apologize in advance, Ken, because you're going to start getting emails from me about Omni Outliner and OmniFocus, and they're going to start very friendly and say, "Hey, how's that going?" <laughs> and then after a couple months, they're going to be begging and pleading, and you know, you know. Offering, you know, bribes, whatever. So, just I'm just apologizing in advance on that. Well, I'll I'll give you a quick update on uh, on OmniFocus in particular. We we started out thinking, well, let's take OmniFocus right away uh, to the iPad. We've already got the iPhone version, so that part of the code's already written. It's pretty close. And then we thought, you know what? Really, we want to redesign this interface to take advantage of this larger screen. You know, yeah. We want to have a sidebar. We probably want to have an actual outline of your tasks on the right instead of just a, a list that you sort of um, go yeah. from one screen to another. Uh, if we're going to write that outline, maybe we should write that outline for Outliner first, where the use case is a little simpler. Um, and so, yeah, it, it kind of snowballed into a bigger thing, and we decided, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we're not going to be able to do that for launch. Let's focus on these other things that we think we can get done. Yeah, well, and you know, I'm, I'm telling you features I wanted yesterday that I asked him to put the review feature in it because I think it'd be great on the pad too. So I'm giving you more work too, but uh, and I appreciate get it right, but just as soon as possible. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it should be clear, I don't think the first version is going to be the end version, right? Yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not going to hold off and try to get everything right just before we release it at all. We want to get something out there that is good and, uh, you know, better than what is already out there. Yeah. Uh, and then just keep making it better, just like we've done with the current Ivo release. Well, I'm a big fan of your products. Thanks so much for giving us some time. You having a good Macworld? Oh, very good so far. Thank yeah. you. Very good. You guys got a great booth. Your big presence at Macworld. Oh, thank you. Much bigger booth than Apple's. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy bar to make. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Okay, so we're sitting here in the media booth at the uh, Macworld Expo 2010 with Gene from Smile on My Mac. And Gene is going to tell us about the most recent changes to Text Expander 3, which has just been announced. Hey, Gene. Hi, David. Hi, Katie. Hey. Um, yes, uh, the latest changes, which are uh, for Text Expander 3, which will be released later this month, late February, early March, um, is when you'll see it. So this is advance, ad, advance of release, uh, revealing the secrets. Yes, of, if you're listening to this, you are in the circle. You are in the circle, in the know. Well, we know that you have lots of Text Expander users among your uh, podcast listeners. So we're excited to to talk to people and let them know what what to expect um so one two things we've done we've made it easier to add snippets and to edit snippets and those are two two tasks that i think text expanders users don't love doing because they like expanding snippets they like the, getting the little pop and feeling productive so when you have to slow down to to create a slip it, snippet or edit one um it, it it does take away from the fun of text expander now you can um you'll be able to use a quick entry window that you access by by a hotkey, so you won't have to actually go to Text Expander at all to create a new snippet or um, to edit um, a, a snippet you've just used, which I think is going to be very easy um, uh, and very popular with people. You know, you've, you've expanded a snippet and you realize, oh, that address has changed or that 
phone numbers change or I have a new email address, you can easily put, put, um, pull the, that last expanded snippet and make a change without going into Text Expander. So when you're in your mail app, if you decide your signature's bad, uh, you can actually go fix it right away, right? Right away. And is there a key combination that does that? Yes, you set your own. So hotkeys, there's always been hotkeys for creating a snippet from the clipboard or from a selection, and now you'll be able to edit last expanded snippet, um, assign your own hotkey. I've assigned Control-X to mine, for example, if you need suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, create new snippet is a, is a hotkey um, option now. And also suggest, suggest matching at abbreviations and snippets. So if you can't remember the abbreviation exactly or you you know you have a snippet for something and you can only remember a word or two from the snippet, you can type a few letters and then hit that suggest matching abbreviations hotkey and a window will pop up with a with all the snippets and abbreviations you have that match. Okay, so does that do that within like the word processor or mm-hmm. within the um, text expander? No, app? you will you, you'll pretty much never see text expander the the actual text expander window again if you don't want to because you can access all these things from wherever you are. Well, that's great because I forget sometimes. I have so many snippets that sometimes I forget one and I have to go up to the menu bar and drag down and find it. So now I can just type a couple letters and it'll give me the list. Yes. You know, you'll be able to, to scroll through, or, you know, use the arrow keys, find the snippet you want and hit return. Now, I understand it's changed that text expander is no longer going to be just a system preference pane. You've actually got a full-blown application. That's right. How does that change how users interact with it, if they want to interact with it? Um, Well, the the most obvious thing that will be different for you is you won't be constrained by the uh, the system preferences window, Mm -hmm. which you know you can't resize very much. Right. It's, It's a fixed width. It's a fixed width. Not anymore. So you'll be able to quote, expand, text expander, you'll, <laughs> you'll be able to, to maximize it horizontally, um, which you haven't been able to do. So for some people, it's going to be a, uh, a lot better, you know, for if you're actually using the text expander window and you want to, you know, organize your libraries or snippet groups, um, it'll be a lot easier because you'll have more room to work with. Um, and I think it's a little geeky to be in the system preference page. <laughs> yeah, I think some people really have trouble finding it there. Yeah. So, it's I mean, not obvious. Not our listeners. But. No, your listeners, uh, of course, have no problem getting system <laughs> preferences. Although that is, you know, it basically is a two-step process then of, of launching Texas Vendor because you're opening system preferences, yeah. which can be slow in its own right, and then going to this Texas Vendor system preference pane. Plus, well, Texas Vendor will now have a, a, a regular conventional preferences window. You know, it's not par- all built and smooshed in together. Um, so that'll be good. And then we should be looking for that in the next couple months? Mm-hmm. But within a month. Oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah. And now you guys are continuing to grow on the iPhone as well. Yes, we are. It's very exciting. I, and I think especially for you guys and your listeners where, where we're starting to get some traction with our Text Expander Touch SDK. So I guess I should explain. The Text Expander is available on the iPhone um, you can have your snippets on the iPhone. You can compose notes and and send them directly to mail or to Twitter clients or copy and paste the text that you compose using Text Expander, which is of course constrained by the iPhone OS, which doesn't allow background processes like we're used to on the Mac. But we also released an iPhone um, a Text Expander Touch SDK for 
other iPhone app developers to use to integrate Text Expander into their apps. And we're up to 19 apps now. And the latest one is the task management app, um, Task Paper. And I think we'll see some more task management apps. Oh, excuse me, and To Do was also by Apigo was also integrated this week. So, so if you've got your um, if you've got your common tasks defined as text expander snippets, and you're on the iPhone, you can do it right within those applications. Exactly. And uh, and talking to some of the other developers here, we're getting a lot of reports that other people are about to join you as well on that. Yes. Now, I saw an interesting snippet just come across the RSS feeds, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I think it was I, iLounge was reporting Text Expander is the first application that's boasting iPhone 3.2 support. Is there something super secret going on? You heard it here Uh-oh. first. <laughs> you heard it here. Going on? It's not super secret. It's just, I mean, the iPhone OS, you know, they, it's been released to the developers, and we, we know where there's, like, it's, I, I'm not a developer, right. and I don't, I can't violate the NDA because I don't even know what's, what's in the there. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, that you're talking to the least informed person of our team, but my impression is that there are some, some UI tweaks that needed to be made so in order really to just, work on, yeah. Just so the compatibility. I think, tweak. you know, people are looking for iPad news, right. and I guess we, we kind of stumbled into that. <laughs> Well, Jeans, anything else you'd like to share? Um, gee, I, I've had a great time at Macworld. It's been great seeing you guys and everybody. Yeah, um, isn't it? It's, uh, I think, um, highly recommend to people, you know, put Macworld 2011 on their calendars. Uh, and I we think, know the dates now. It's oh. January 25th through 29th, 2011. 2011. Man, time is flying. <laughs> Mark your calendar. Come meet Jean in McDonald. <laughs> I'll be here for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jean. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, that wraps up our special edition of the Mac Power Users podcast with interviews live from the show floor of Macworld 2010. David and I had an absolute blast at Macworld, and we are very much looking forward to the show next year. As you may have heard from Gene's interview, Text Expander 3 is on its way. However, we talked to Jane after the interview, and she has confirmed that if you go ahead and buy Text Expander 2 now, you will receive a free upgrade to version 3 when it is released. You can save 20% off the purchase price of Text Expander 2 by using the special link smileonmymac.com slash mpu. And again, that will save you 20% off of all of the Smile on My Mac software, not just Text Expander. But if you want to go ahead and uh, get the jump on Text Expander 2 now, you will receive a free upgrade to Text Expander 3 when it is released. So we'll be back next time with a more normal episode. We're going to talk about travel gear. We will also follow up on some of the feedback that we've received from our previous episodes, um, like I said, that we hadn't had an opportunity to do because of the special Macworld coverage. So if you would like to send us any comments, the best way to reach us is by email. You can do that at feedback at macpowerusers.com. That email will go both to David and myself. You can also check out our website, www.macpowerusers.com, where you will find our show notes with links to the products that were mentioned in this episode, uh, as well as an opportunity to comment if you have more public comment that you want to make on one of our posts. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macpowerusers, or you can follow David Sparks and I individually. David is 
at Max Sparky, and I am at Katie Floyd. If you didn't have an opportunity to win one of those fancy Mac Power Users mugs at Macworld, you can find those on our Cafe Press store. There's also a link on our website. And we love iTunes comments, so if you get a chance, uh, stop by on iTunes and drop us a comment. Until next time.